Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Alright, if you could go ahead and find your place in Matthew's Gospel. We'll be in chapter 14 today. And as you're doing that, I just want to ask some, I guess, rhetorical questions. And this is, uh, you know, sometimes God puts things in a particular place in time, and uh, there's no way you could have planned it. We've been in the Gospel of Matthew since the end of last year, since December. And today we just find ourselves in chapter 14. And that's no coincidence. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in Jesus. And um, so, so God just, you know, puts things in front of us from time to time. And today's scripture, we're going to look at the whole chapter 14. And it, it's, I know that seems like too much, but it, it, it honestly, when you see what's there, it, it won't be that much, but it contains two very familiar stories, true stories, historical accounts of miracles. And so here's the, the question, here's the consideration. What will it take for us to trust in Jesus? I mean, honestly, what, what's it going to take? And it seems like we talk about this all the time, and, and yet we never seem to change our perspectives. And so yesterday, yeah, I think it was yesterday, um, my youngest Sarah and I went, uh, we had some errands to run, and so... You know, if you're going to run errands, you have to combine that with going to eat, right? And that's just something you have to do. So we did. And we left after eating and started going on these uh, couple of errands we had to run. And this song just had been resonating in my mind. And uh, I want to just read you the first couple of um, lines and then the, the chorus at the beginning and, uh, and we're going to come back to it at the end the name of the song is Do It Again and here's how it starts walking around these walls I thought by now they would fall but you've never failed me yet waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won, for you've never failed me yet. And then the chorus sounds like this. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands, and this is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. And so I thought about that. I, I listened to it multiple times yesterday. Listened to it this morning. Multiple times. And I'm just sitting there listening to such a good song and just listening to the words. And, and it's just reminding me more and more, especially right now, why 
why am I having such a difficult time trusting and, and believing, you know, things that uh, are in my heart, in my mind, things I know to be true. Not just from God's Word, but from my own experience. Right? Don't we have uh, experiences? And, and if you're younger, you may not have had the opportunity to have as many. But if you're... I'm, I'm 51 years old. I've been walking with the Lord for a little while. I've had, I've had plenty enough experiences of God's faithfulness where I shouldn't be having doubts. He's done more than enough. But then when you get to a, a difficult time, you still, you know, it's just it's like your humanity just gets in the way of your spiritual life and you have these doubts, you have these struggles with your belief and your faith in God and His abilities. And it makes no logical sense, especially for the Christian. But nevertheless, there it is. It's a, a struggle to believe. So this text today, it, it starts out pretty somber, pretty pretty bad with the remembrance of John the Baptist and how he died. And then it goes straight into these two amazing miracles, three really if you count the last three verses. And it's just more and more evidence that God is not only faithful, but He's good and He's able. And we really, we none of us has any... Um, standing to doubt those things despite our circumstance if God let me, let me just say this if God never did another thing for me <laughs> he's done plenty so let's look at this text uh, Matthew chapter 14 the words are going to be on the screen if you'd like to follow along uh, and that's in the same Translation that I'll be reading from, New American Standard um, Bible. And here's what God says through Matthew. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, It's not lawful for you to have her. And although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them, and it pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. And having been prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. And although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother. 
and his disciples, that's, that's John's disciples, came and took away the body and buried it, and they went and reported to Jesus. Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and the hour is already late, so send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, and while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But... Seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Genesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word into all that surrounding district and brought to him all who were sick. And they implored him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it were cured. Father, in Jesus' name, would you please speak to us today? Speak to us through your word. Help us understand and help us to be obedient. We pray this for your glory. Amen. So let's just take a look again. The words of that song that I read just a moment ago. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall, but you've never failed me yet. Waiting for change to come, knowing the battle's won, for you have never failed me yet. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never 
failed me yet. You know, Jesus made it a habit not to fail. It was in His character. It was in His nature. So, the things He did, He was successful because He was unique. Because while Jesus was on this earth, there has never been another person like Him. And there never will be. Because He was at one time 100% God and 100% man. He was very unique. He was destined to succeed. So in this text today, there are several things that are going on, and, and it's interesting how John the Baptist, his death is included here in the midst of all... I mean, if you remember all of what we talked about going through chapter 13, all the constant opposition, Jesus teaching in parables, and people not understanding because they didn't want to. They wanted to... Uh, just going about their business. They didn't care what Jesus had to say. And His disciples were trying to learn. And their faith is gradually growing. And then you get to chapter 14, and then here's this story, 12 verses worth, of, of how John the Baptist was killed by Herod. It's a terrible, terrible story. But it's remembered because of what it uh, what it did in the life and ministry of Christ and, and how it played a part in what Jesus was doing even in preparing His own disciples. So these first 12 verses, as John's death is remembered, you start to learn what's happening here. Why is this important? Why does it matter? Well, look at the similarities between John the Baptist and Jesus and between John's disciples and Jesus' disciples. Because if you remember, Jesus began His earthly ministry after John was arrested. And so John's disciples are trying to figure out what to do. And then now you see the way John's disciples care for John after he has been killed. It's almost like a lesson, a case study for the disciples of Jesus to say, you're going to need to take notes here because you're going to need to be doing this at the end of, of Jesus' ministry on earth. So pay attention. And so you see the story of how uh, John the Baptist is thought to be Jesus, uh, or Jesus is thought to be John the Baptist uh, by Herod, right? This is a great irony in the first two verses because don't you remember what happened when John the Baptist came on the scene? They thought he was the Messiah. And he had to convince them, no, I'm not. And now Herod thinks... Jesus is John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Because he's, you know what he's doing? He's feeling guilty for his own actions. He's under conviction, and so he's trying to explain it away. And so it, it tells you the story very clearly in verses 3 through 12 about what happened, how Herod had put John in prison because John kept telling him he was wrong for who he married because he married the wife of his brother, and so, even then, John is telling the truth, and Herod's under conviction, so he just, he's in charge, so well, fine, I'll just I'll fix you, I'll throw you in jail. And then, on his birthday, his stepdaughter comes in and, and dances and entertains everybody, and he makes the mistake of promising her, well, I'll, I'll give you whatever you want. And her mother to get back at John, orchestrates John's murder. And so all this happens, 
And then you see John's disciples at the very end buried his body and reported the events to Jesus. That's important. Because Jesus was going to be prompted by these events to do some things on his own. And so, after John's death is remembered, the second thing that happens in this text is Jesus is going to feed thousands. Jesus feeds thousands. This is probably a familiar story to most of us. And you see how it begins. Jesus heard about John and withdrew by boat to a secluded place by himself. Now, what do you suppose Jesus was going to do? Why would he go off by himself after he hears about John the Baptist being killed? He's going to pray. He's going to talk to his father. But the crowds don't allow him to do it. Because as soon as they find out what's going on, he's in a boat going to a certain place. They find out he's going, so they meet him there on foot. And he gets, it's, the Bible says it plain as day. It says, when he went ashore, verse 14, see the crowd was already there. So they must have been getting it pretty good, right? Getting their cardio in. They got, probably went over their steps for that day, I'm, I'm assuming. But it says, he went ashore, the, the, the large crowd was there. Now, if you were on your way, you just heard this news. John the Baptist has been killed. And you get in a boat. And your destination is, I'm going off by myself to talk to God. And you get to where you're going, and here's a big crowd of people come to see you. Because they, they, they need something from you. What's your reaction going to be at that point? Are you going to be happy about that? Probably not. Because it just completely disrupts your plan. Disrupts what you need to do. And here's all these people. You know what Jesus does? He felt compassion and healed their sick. See, this is a lesson for us. It's a lesson for the disciples of Christ. They did not really care as much about the crowds. Jesus cared about the crowds. He cared about people. He cared about what people we're dealing with the problems and the issues and challenges and, and difficulties of life. And so the Bible says he had compassion. You know where this word occurs again? Do you remember back when we were in chapter 9 and we got to the end of chapter 9 of Matthew? And the Bible said that Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And then in verse 36 of chapter 9, the Bible says, Seeing the people, He felt compassion for them. Do you remember why? Because they were distressed. They were harassed. They were helpless. The Bible calls them sheep without a shepherd. They were cast down. They were discouraged. So you know what Jesus did? He dealt with it. He helped. He healed their sick. And then He didn't stop there. He looked at His disciples and He said, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. So you need to pray that there will be some more people getting involved in this work because there's too much work and not enough people. And, and these, these people here need help. Jesus had compassion. So in this instance, 
He healed their sick because of His compassion. And then the Bible says that in verse 15, look at the different reaction to the crowds. It's getting dark, right? And it's time for something to happen. And, and you have two opposing viewpoints. The disciples said, Jesus, you need to tell these people to go on home. Just, you know, just go on wherever you can. It's like, uh, it's like what they used to tell you uh, when I was in college. You know, you're staying out too late on Thursday or Friday night. And they flip all the lights on in the room, bright lights. And you know what they say? We're closing. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Get out, basically. And so the disciples had that kind of attitude. They said, I don't know know where you're going, but you, you need to go on. It's dark, it's time to go home. That's the disciples. You see, they still have some room to grow. You know what Jesus said? Why are you sending them away? If they need something to eat, why don't you give them something to eat? Have you ever thought about that? I'm paraphrasing, of course, what Jesus said. But he said, why don't you meet their needs? Why, why are you sending them away where they may or may not get their needs met when we can meet their, meet their needs right here? And here's their excuse. You know, it's funny the things that comes to, come to mind when I'm up here. I'm up here talking, and this is not in my notes, and I, all I have to do is look down at my children and I remember some movie we watched and uh, it's, I think it was The Penguins of Madagascar. Remember that? And they're telling them all the reasons why they can't do what they want to do and the, and the uh, who was the main guy? Who was the in charge? What was his private? Not for no. He was the... Uh, anyway, the main penguin in charge says, don't give me excuses. Give me results. You know? And I just pictured Jesus like smacking them around saying, don't give me excuses why you can't do this. Let's get it done. And he says, all right, what do you have? Well, we got five loaves of bread and two fish. And we've got a whole lot of people. Now, the human mind looks at that and says, not enough, y'all go home. Jesus says, why don't you just bring it to me? You ever thought of that? And, and let me just make a, a side point here. Did you know that whatever you have is a whole lot more use if you put it in Jesus' hands. You might not be able to do much with what you have because you're trying to do it by yourself. But if you give it to Jesus, then He can do far more with what you have than you could ever do with what you have. And that's all He asked. Look at the text. That's all He asked. Verse 18, Bring them to Me. So he told the people to sit down. What's the first thing he did when he got the resources of the people? He looked up toward heaven. He blessed the food and he broke it. Does that put you in mind of anything that's going to happen later? When Jesus is with his twelve disciples, the night that he's about to get arrested, betrayed, he blessed the food and broke it and share and Jesus does the same thing right here he gives them to the disciples and the disciples give them to the crowds and look at verse 20 everybody ate and was satisfied sounds like sitting in this fellowship hall on homecoming 
Everybody ate and was satisfied. Everybody ate a lot and was more than just satisfied. And by the way, you would be satisfied, especially if you took a big plate, not a tiny plate, and went to the dessert table first instead of going, I'm just trying to help y'all. They had 12 full baskets of leftovers. It's hard to beat leftovers, especially after Thanksgiving. Twelve baskets. And that might not seem like that big a deal until you realize how many people were there. 5,000, look at, look at verse 21 very carefully. It's not 5,000 people, it's 5,000 men, plus women and children. So let's do a little quick math. How likely is it that each of these men were married? In this culture, pretty likely. How likely is that each of these couples only had one child in this culture? Not very likely. So let's just be conservative, shall we? 5,000 men and their wives, that's 10,000 people. 10,000 people plus one child per couple. That's 15,000 people. So, so two children per couple, you've got 20,000 people. And it, it could have been more. could have been less, but it could have been more. Probably more. That's a lot of people for five loaves of bread and two fish, isn't it? So you know what Jesus just did? He demonstrated something that only Almighty God could do. So, so don't miss the subtle statement here by this miracle. Jesus is screaming at all these thousands and thousands of people, I'm God standing in front of you. Because only God could do that. So Jesus is making a statement about His divinity, not just His miracle-working power. And so while the disciples wanted to just be rid of all the needy people, their Master was compassionate. So the disciples are learning to model their ministries after Jesus' compassion and to believe in His power to multiply their resources. What do we pray when we, when we give most weeks somewhere in the prayer? What, what do you hear? Lord, take these gifts and multiply. We ask Him to do it, right? You know why we ask Him to do it? Because He can do it. We wouldn't ask if we didn't think He could. Right? You ever ask God for something, and then, but in your heart you just don't believe He can really do it? Why is that? Why do we do that? You know what? Do you know what the angel told young Mary when he delivered the news that she was going to bear a child, even though she had never been with a man? She was probably 15, 16 years old. You remember what, when she questioned the angel, you remember what he told her? Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. So why do, why do we keep doubting? Why do we think He can't do it? 
It may not be in His plan and His design to do it, but it doesn't mean He can't. It means He's got another better plan. Jesus feeds thousands. The third thing we see in this text is Jesus walks on water. And, and this, is, this is filled with miracle. There's multiple things. It's not just Him walking on water. Let me, let me just walk through it with you together and we'll see some things that Jesus did. In verse 22, Jesus sends His disciples in a boat to the other side. He sends the crowds away and Jesus finally goes up on the mountain by Himself to pray. Right? That was His intention before the first miracle of multiplying the bread and the fish. He was intending to go by Himself and pray. Now He's finally sent everybody away after meeting their needs and He's going to pray. He sends the disciples ahead. And it says in, in the Scripture here, uh, verse 24, that the disciples were already a long distance from the land and they come into this storm on the, on the water. Now, when, when the Bible says the fourth watch, so basically from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. is divided into four periods of three hours. Okay? One through four. And so those 12 hours in the night. So when the Bible says during the fourth watch, that means sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. He, here He comes walking on the water. So that's miracle number one, right? Jesus is walking on the water. And it's late at night, early morning, however you want to look at it. And the disciples see Jesus and they're terrified thinking he's a ghost. And by the way, you know what happens every single time in Scripture when an angel or a messenger from God shows up to tell somebody something? What is the response of the people? Scared to death. Terrified. They were terrified. What did Jesus say? Jesus said the same thing that every other angel and messenger from God said in Scripture to calm the people down. Don't be afraid. But in this case, it's not like the angel going to the shepherds on the hillside. Don't be afraid. I bring you great news of uh, good news of great joy for all the people. No, no. He, look what he says. Take courage. It is I. I am. It is me, Jesus, the Messiah, God incarnate. Don't be afraid. So, they calm down just a bit, but Peter has some doubts, of course. Peter's always got something to say, and half the time it doesn't make any sense or it's inappropriate, but he says it anyway. Peter has doubts. He asks Jesus, all right, prove it. If it's you, call me out there. So Jesus said, all right, come on. So Peter gets out of the boat. And, and before we fuss at Peter for what's about to happen... Let's just be mindful that Peter was the only one that got out of the boat. Okay? Because everybody else is still in the boat. Peter at least got out of the boat. And he starts to walk towards Jesus and everything's great. And I know probably all of us have heard some variation of an explanation about this text right now. So I won't belabor it other than to say, what happens to Peter as he's walking that causes him to sink? Look what the what does the Bible say? Verse thirty. But seeing the wind, now that's right, that's right. Tell me about it, Carrie. He took his eyes off Jesus. 
How could he see the wind if he was looking at Jesus? He was looking at the wind and he became frightened, the Bible says. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So you know what happens in verse 30? If you take your eyes off Jesus, you start having problems and you need saving. If you'd have just kept your eyes on Jesus, you might not have needed saving like that. We, we tend, we have a very, very bad habit, every one of us. We always see the negative. We always are uh, a glass half empty. We always want to talk about what's wrong and what can't happen and I can't do this and this is too hard and, and we can't make it instead of saying, you know what, this is a tough situation, but my God can do it. He can do anything. Now, I don't know what He's going to do right now, but I'm going to keep my eyes focused on Jesus and not worry about what's going on around me. I, that, somebody write that down and read it to me because I need to hear that. Today, I need to hear that. Stop focusing on all the problems and focus on the, the one person who can fix every problem. It's, it's like I see my own hard-headed self right here in this text. And so if, if nobody else was in this room, I needed to hear that truth. Stop looking around at the problems. And look at Jesus. What does Jesus say in response to Peter? Verse 31. Because he saves him. He stretches out his hand. It says it right there. He took hold of him. But he says, as he's rescuing Peter, you of little faith. This is, this is the question Jesus asks us every single day. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Why do we doubt? Anybody good reason, got a good reason? I'll, I'll listen. Because I haven't come up with one. I don't have a reason to doubt. I, st I still doubt. And that's my fault. But I don't have a good reason. Why did you doubt? Now I want you to look very carefully at verse 32. Because this, this is really miracle number 3. I think maybe now, three or four, in this one story. What did Jesus say to calm the storm in verse 32? Nothing. See that? You know, in the other, the other time when, they were, when he was asleep in the boat and they hit a storm, remember that story? He was with them this time asleep in the boat. He wasn't worried, of course. And they wake him up and say, don't you care we're dying? Do something. And he again says, where's your faith? But then he speaks to the storm and says, be still. And it's quiet. Did he say anything here? Not a word. You know why? Listen, listen to me. Just the presence of Jesus will calm your storm. What are you dealing with? I got a list. I don't need a self-help book. I don't I don't need anything the world can offer me. I just need Jesus close by. That's what I need. And and 
He stepped foot in the boat and the storm stopped. You know why that is? I'm going to tell you, this, this scripture is packed full of good stuff. Even the storm recognizes who's in charge. Oftentimes better than we do. So the disciples respond in verse 33. They worshipped. They worshipped Him. And they declared, You are certainly God's Son. And in my twisted imagination, I'm hearing in a real southern accent, Well, who don't know that? Of course He's God's Son. You should have got it by now. I mean, how many... How many mir- we're in chapter 14. How many miracles has Jesus done thus far? that the disciples have witnessed. You you understand now why he says you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And they're finally getting there. They're finally growing in their faith and understanding you are certainly God's Son. So, this is a a great quote here. David Turner is a a really brilliant scholar. he, He wrote about this particular story. He said, The rescued disciples' confession that Jesus is God's Son should be seen in the light of biblical texts that represent this stormy sea as a place of evil chaos from which only God can deliver. You know what that means? Jesus is demonstrating once again, I am God. He would say it in John's Gospel. In John 8.58, Before Abraham was born, I am In John 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. He he said it over and over to demonstrate who He was. And here He shows them. Only God can do these things. Jesus is God. He feeds the thousands. He walks on water. The last thing that happens here is Jesus, again, heals many. He heals many. The last three verses, they cross over the sea, they get to Genesaret, and look what happens. You know, word spreads. When when Jesus goes about His earthly ministry, word spreads. And it says in the text here that the people, the men of that place, verse 35, recognized Him, and they sent word everywhere to the surrounding district and brought to Him all who were sick. So they told everybody, hey... Jesus is here. Our prayers are answered. They beg Jesus. Look at the, the, the way they do this. Just to touch the fringe of His cloak. I don't want to bother you, Jesus. I don't want to take your time. I know you're busy. I know there's a lot of people here. If I can just, let me just touch the, the hem of the garment. And what happened? The end of verse 36. Everybody who touched it was cured. They were healed. They just got close to Jesus. So, even in the midst of the growing opposition that we've seen in chapters 12 and 13 coming up to this point, you know what else is growing? The authority of God's kingdom is growing. The miracles... And even through this maturing, growing faith of the disciples. So, what do we need to learn from all this? That, that's a, a big chapter, 
36 verses, multiple things going on, multiple miracles, multiplying the, the food, walking on the water, getting Peter to walk on the water, saving Peter from sinking, calming the storm, all in that one story. And then when he finally gets to where they're going, he heals some more people. So Jesus is developing the faith of his followers. That, that's the main thing for us. Jesus is developing the faith of those who follow Him. He's teaching them about compassion as He takes what they have and multiplies it to feed thousands. He teaches them about trust by walking on the water and getting Peter to walk on the water and then saving him from sinking and then calming the storm without a word. And so, we may not have seen miracles like this in, in person but we have the same experiences of Jesus meeting our needs and proving His faithfulness over and over again. So we really don't have any excuse. The, way, you know, the first thing I ask is, why, why do we continue to doubt? Or why do we find it so difficult to trust in Jesus? I'm going to... Um, I just did this this morning, so... Um, Patty, Jackie, I apologize, but um, for the invitation today, I, I just wanted you to consider another portion of that song that I started with. Because when it gets to the middle of this song, there's a, a bridge, and, and listen to what it's, just listen to the lyrics. It says, "I've seen you move." <laughs> Have you seen Him move? He says, I've seen you move. You move the mountains. And I believe I'll see you do it again. So simple. You made a way where there was no way. And I believe I'll see you do it again. Then the, the chorus repeats. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. Is that your declaration today? Can you honestly say those words are true for you? Have you experienced God working in your life? Have you seen Him do some things in your life? Have you seen Him move a mountain? Figuratively speaking. Has He answered prayers for you? Do you believe He can still do that? I'm, I'm counting on the fact He can still do that. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.